Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, a staple of Louisiana kitchens for nearly 40 years. Maker of batters, coatings, boils, tartar sauce, cocktail sauce, and more. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. It's the time of year for celebrations, and for most Louisianians, that means wine, beer, and high-proof libations. For the sober-minded, this can present a host of challenges. And for those struggling with addiction, it can be an especially risky time. As the holidays draw near, we're lowering the proof while proving there's a lot of delicious fun still to be had. Dietitian Molly Kimball of Oshner Eat Fit founded Alcohol Free for 40 in 2015, an annual challenge that has led thousands to give up drinking entirely for the 40 days of Lent. Journalist Melanie Warner Spencer took Molly's challenge early on. By 2021, she was so taken with the effects of an alcohol-free life, she founded Drink Fit Club, an online community dedicated to helping people cut back on their intake. They're both here with Craft, a new book that perfects the art of zero-proof cocktails. Dr. David Wallace serves only zero-proof beverages at his sober bar, Dreamhouse Lounge. Aside from its delicious drinks and energizing oxygen bar, Dreamhouse is a place where David encourages what he calls soul care, a place to nurture good spiritual and mental health, which is also an apt description of the national support group, Ben's Friends. In 2016, sober restaurateurs Steve Palmer and Mickey Baxt founded Ben's Friends after the death of Ben Murray, one of Steve's chefs. They recognized the deep need for a support group tailored to food and beverage professionals who struggle with the all-too-common problem of addiction. We sit down with Mickey and Ben's Friends leader, Haley Hostler to learn how hospitality workers are helping their own. We're bringing the party without the booze on this week's Louisiana Eats. My name is Dr. David Wallace. I am the founder and principal consultant of Awakening Minds Consulting and the owner of Dreamhouse Lounge. Dr. David Wallace's journey has been a long and winding road. Originally from Belle Glade, Florida, known as Muck City, due to its proximity to Lake Okeechobee and the muck in which the local sugarcane grows. He eventually found his way to Atlanta and Morehouse College. Finally landing here in New Orleans, David is affecting change in multiple ways. 
His book, Awakening Minds, 10 Life Lessons for a Conscious Culture, at its core is a self-help tool. While his bar, Dreamhouse Lounge, continues that concept by only offering non-alcoholic beverages and a safe space for locals to mingle and enjoy a bar atmosphere without the potential for a hangover. We spoke with David at Dreamhouse Lounge to find out how that little boy from Muck City became author and entrepreneur Dr. David Wallace. I started by asking how the book came about. I think uh, a couple things brought this book out. So I started my Awakening Minds consulting company four years ago in honor of my grandfather, James Torrance Sr. Uh, my grandfather was illiterate and he did not have the opportunity to finish school. If you know about growing up in the Jim Crow South, you know that black and brown people were not afforded the same educational opportunities as others. And so in the 40s, my grandfather was actually forced out of school to become a sharecropper. As long as I knew him, he was a farmer. Also, as long as I knew him, he kept a garden in his backyard and he would allow people from the community to come by his house, get fresh collard greens, okra, tomatoes, you name it, he grew it. And he would let people come and pick out of his garden for free and he would never charge them. The only form of payment was to sit on his porch and talk about their dreams and how they were manifesting them. And he would always offer this like wise advice to people. And so I saw him awaken minds throughout my life growing up. And so I named my consulting company in honor of him and his legacy, um, Awakening Minds. What a charming story was in the book about how you would come home from school and Mm -hmm. he'd be waiting for you with a pile of mail. Mm -hmm. Yes, to read for him. And I will never forget that day I asked him, why do you always wait for me to come read your mail? And he said, son, I can't read. And the look of embarrassment is one that I never forgot. And it also like fueled me into my purpose. And so I went to Morehouse College in Atlanta, the black mecca, black male mecca, to like really understand the spectrum of black male identity and what I could be, uh, because I didn't just have a lot of examples in my small community of Belglade that I personally connected with, aside from my grandfather, who was my champion in my world. Um, But in terms of like academics, I didn't have that many uh, examples. But this idea of Awakening Minds, this book came from working with one of my international clients, uh, the Quarto Group. I was supporting them through uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, professional development. So I had the opportunity to train all 400 of their employees over the course of four sessions on understanding racial inequities, understanding the history of race in America and in England, and how um, there are similar experiences when we think about uh, how black people have been oppressed in America as well as in um, England. And so really afforded the opportunity to bring that level of awareness on a global scale with a publishing company and also pushing them to think about uh, in pursuit of racial justice, you divert resources, you provide access. And so one day they tapped me and was like, would you be interested in writing a book? And I was like, yeah, I've been writing a book already. And they was like, no, we want you to write a self-help book. We see a lot of people are struggling with the pandemic. A lot of people are struggling with their mental health. And we want you to create something that really targets the mind, the body, and the spirit. And so I came up with this idea of 
10 life lessons for our conscious culture. These are lessons that I've learned along the way that I wish somebody would have packaged in a book and told me, like, for example, how do you deal with rejection? Mm. Um, no one ever talked to me about to expect rejection and how to deal with it in a healthy way. And so um, I was excited to put together this project because these were lessons that I've had learned, discovered along the, um, along my journey and my profession. And it was definitely a nod and celebration to my grandfather and his legacy. Well, no matter what your orientation in life is, I mm-hmm. know that there are certainly lessons to be learned here in your book. It, it's such a lovely piece. Thank and you. One of the things that struck me, I love your use of words. So I believe in this culture, we're very accustomed to hearing about self-care, but you make a point of soul care. Mm -hmm. Would you explain that differentiation? Yes, yes. So I think that like self-care has become like a buzzword similar to veganism, similar to, you know, the avocado wave when everyone had to have guacamole or avocado toast. Like my initial understanding of self-care was like, go get my manicure and pedicure, make sure I get my hair cut, make sure I like look good and I'm practicing self-care. But what I've discovered along the way is that it's deeper than that. It is how are you tending to your consciousness? In my religion, we call it your spirit, your inner Ashe, that that consciousness that needs to be nurtured and needs to be taken care of. So this idea of soul care really came out of infusing, yes, those daily practices that you use to take care of yourself, like getting your nails done, getting your hair cut, wearing a face mask, but also that spiritual practice of meditation, of journaling, of mindfulness, of reflecting and being introspective pushing yourself to go to places that are historically peaceful, like a forest or somewhere in nature or the lake, which I go to uh, meditate often. And I discovered that I started to feel better inside and that radiate energy on the outside. And so people always tell me like, oh, I can feel your energy when you enter a building or your smile is infectious or I love being around you because you bring a level of joy. And I would say, well, I take care of my soul. Um, I tend to my consciousness. I nurture it. And so I use the term soul care as opposed to self-care because I think it's more than just those tangible things that you're doing. But what are you doing to elevate your consciousness and build awareness and understanding of your identity and the world around you? Tell me how your uncovering these life lessons for a conscious culture Mm -hmm. led you here to this corner of Barone and Perdido down here in the Central Business District of New Orleans. After I walked away from my full-time job, um, I was a senior leader at an organization that was responsible for training and developing teachers and school leaders. And through my book writing, I started to realize that my personal values no longer align with the values of that company. I did, I was not in alignment with the direction that the company was going in. And so in pursuit of saving myself, I started to have these dreams about my next journey. And it was to create Dream House uh, where I provide a space for people to come and nurture their mental health and their spiritual health. And I had dreams about the layout 
I had dreams. I did not know that it was going to be an NA space at first. I knew that I wanted the oxygen bar uh, because of the health benefits with the oxygen, with the aromatic experience. Um, but I did not know it was going to be an NA space at first. And NA, of course, stands yes, for no, no alcohol. Yes, no alcohol. So this is yes. a sober lounge. Yes, right? exactly. Yes, we everything we serve is completely zero proof. And a lot of the drinks that we serve have been replaced with other adaptogens instead of alcohol, like kava or reishi mushrooms. And so for many people, they're still getting afloat. They're still getting a feeling, a sense of euphoria or relaxation, but it's not tied to alcohol. It's tied to other plant-based uh, measures such as kava or reishi mushrooms. This place came to me in that dream, and the last dream I had about this space, I could not recognize any of the bottles in that dream. And so I literally jumped out of my bed at like 3 o'clock in the morning and said, this is going to be a non-alcoholic space. And I started doing my research. I started ordering up all these different NA beverages and trying them at home and mixing up cocktails, inviting friends over to say like, hey, try this margarita out. And then wait for them to sip it and say, like, oh, this is very good. And I said, can you believe there's no alcohol in it? And my friends would be like, what? Are you serious? And so I started to introduce the NA space to my friend groups, to my family. And it was a source of, like, trickery, but I was conducting a social experiment. And even when I had my book lunch party, it was a dry brunch. Um, but no one knew it until halfway through. So my friends, I had about 50 people in this space serving up mimosas with de-alcoholized wine. It was a sight to see that people were like, oh, I'm so tipsy. And when I made the announcement about my book, I also told them that, you know, I had a dream about uh, creating a space for mental health and wellness that was absent of alcohol. And I was like, by the way, the mimosas that you all have been drinking today are made with a alternative champagne that doesn't have alcohol in it and the look of surprise on everybody's faces and I was like drinking is like a mental thing like when it's a social thing you go out to brunch you have three mimosas you're like oh I feel great I feel lovely but that's a mental thing you're telling yourself that you feel great you're telling yourself that you feel lovely so those social experiments gave me affirmation that this space was not only needed but I could create something that pushes people to reevaluate their relationship with alcohol. Well, you know, you are here in one of the most famous drinking cities mm -hmm. in the whole world. Yes. So what has the reaction been? What do people say? Yes, great question. I mean, I thought about that when before I opened. I was like, why am I opening this space in New Orleans? Like, why would I have a dream about opening a space here in a city that is known for alcohol consumption, that we celebrate it. It's like everywhere. And uh, well, there are three reactions that we get with people who come in here. And number one, thank you so much for creating this space because it's incredibly difficult to live in New Orleans. And that's for the people who are sober. We get a lot of people who, uh, for whatever reason, don't have an association or relationship with alcohol, whether it's through addiction recovery, whether it's through health like challenges with consuming it or they just don't drink or religious reasons people come in and say thank you for creating this space that means a lot to me the second reaction that we get which i think is amazing people come in here and say i didn't know that i needed this space until i got here 
And so I think that speaks to the energy that I have cultivated in this space. I think it speaks to the concept. And I think it also speaks to people are yearning for tangible ways to take care of your mind, body, and spirit. People are looking for deeper ways to take care of themselves. Um, Social care is a form of self-care or soul care. Um, But what happens when you drink alcohol um, and you're socializing? Some people drink it to force themselves to be present. Some people drink it to take themselves out of situations. They assume that they're like alleviating their nerves to be in social spaces. But what does it mean to create a space and force people to be present that I think directly challenges what we see in social media, our addiction to our cell phones. I think this space challenges that. The lighting, I think everything forces people to be present um, in a way that I don't know that I plan for that, but it is a byproduct of just like how the space is designed. And I would say the third reaction that um, I've gotten is that like this would never work. Hmm. People said this yeah. isn't going to work. Are yeah. you crazy? Yeah. And so when I see that negative energy on social media, I'm like, well, you can't knock it until you try it. Like you don't know that it would never work. And if you come in here and say, I actually have tried everything that you offer and I don't like it. And I don't think that this is a smart idea. And I was like, okay, cool. But if you say like that concept would never work, or I think that's a stupid idea. Then to me, it's like, well, have you actually tried the drinks? Yeah. Have you tried the oxygen bar? Have you lived through the experience? If you have not, close your mouth. <laughs> David, this has been such a special treat. Thank you for welcoming us here into your amazing Dreamhouse Lounge. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And I hope that the listeners get a sense of motivation to think about their mental health spiritual health and overall well-being. That was Dr. David Wallace, author of Awakening Minds, 10 Lessons for a Conscious Culture, and owner of Dream House Lounge. up next, we learn about Ben's Friends, a national coalition of recovering alcoholics and addicts who work in the food and beverage industry. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Crystal Hot Sauce, made with three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt. Nothing artificial. Crystal Hot Sauce, how New Orleans does flavor. From Rouse's Markets, synonymous with seafood straight from Louisiana's waterways. Rouse's Markets, tastes like home. And from Camellia Brand, beans done right, 
a New Orleans tradition since 1923. Do your red beans cook up so creamy because they're cooked in Grandma's bean pot? Or is it her wooden spoon that makes them so special? Camellia Brand wants to honor your family's culinary keepsakes during their upcoming centennial. Share your treasures by emailing images and stories to me at poppy at poppytooker.com and we'll make sure you're part of the celebration. I am Mickey Baxt, co-founder of Ben's Friends. I am Haley Hosler, co-leader of Ben's Friends Portland and one of the national leaders of Ben's Friends. Ben's Friends is a nationwide fellowship of people in the food and beverage industry who are sober or are perusing sobriety. Their mission is to help those struggling with addiction find community and a path to a healthier, sober life. Both its founders, restaurant veterans Steve Palmer and Mickey Baxt, are recovering alcoholics, with nearly 60 years of combined sobriety between them. Launched in Charleston in 2016, Ben's Friends now has chapters in 20 cities across the country with national meetings hosted via Zoom every day. In August 2022, a local chapter was founded here in New Orleans during Tales of the Cocktail. We joined Ben's Friends leader, Haley Hostler and co-founder, Mickey Baxt, shortly after the group's first New Orleans meeting. Mickey began by explaining the impetus behind the sober support group. Steve Palmer, uh, our co-founder, uh, who has a group called the Indigo Road Restaurant Group with about 30 restaurants. He and I constantly got together and talked about life, and it seemed that every week we would talk about another industry person destroying their career or ruining or taking their lives. Ben Murray was a chef who worked for Steve in one of his restaurants who didn't show up for work one day. Steve went to the hotel he was staying at and found him surrounded by a bunch of empty bottles. He had taken his own life. Ben's Friends was named in honor of Ben Murray because Ben Murray's passing motivated Steve and I to say, we need to do something in this industry, restaurants, to help our peers. And Haley, how did you come to be involved? I have been in the restaurant industry my entire life. I grew up in restaurants. Um, I've been in food and beverage for a very long time. I found myself uh, pretty deep in my addiction in San Francisco while I was running a cocktail catering and design company. And I went to treatment in Minnesota. And when I got out of treatment, I entered a 12-step program and I, I met my first sponsor and she highly discouraged me from ever being in the restaurant industry again. And I felt so saddened by that thought. And I I was very hurt and confused. And it's it's all I've ever known. I, I love it so deeply. And I've been so committed to it. And I decided to Google sobriety in the restaurant industry. And I found Penn's Friends. And it's this, this giant national community of people who feel the same way. The reality that I say 
is that alcohol is everywhere. You go fill your car with gas, there's alcohol when you pay. You go to the drugstore, there's alcohol on the shelves. You can't avoid alcohol. So the fact that we're living in it in our industry is really, yes, it's exaggerated, but it's no different than the outside world. I believe that we need to learn how to live with it. And I believe that we can learn to live with it in restaurants. In practice, Haley, how is that accomplished? So Ben's Friends, I was going to say, Ben's Friends has taught me so much about triggers. And we, we use that word in, in different sobriety circles. And um, I think the general assumption is that a bar or a restaurant might be a big trigger for someone who's trying not to drink. The more time I have in sobriety and the more work I've done with Ben's Friends, I've, I've understood that my triggers are not bars or restaurants or parties. They are not even being in proximity to alcohol. My triggers are loneliness and shame and fear and disconnection. And Ben's Friends is, a, is the anecdote to those things. And so understanding that about myself makes it easy. I mean, you say it, would, it seems so difficult to stay sober in the restaurant industry. I think it would be more difficult for me to leave it. How does Ben's Friends differ from classic AA. So we do like to make it clear that Ben's Friends is a community, not a program. So if you're interested in working a program or if that's feeling necessary, that Ben's Friends doesn't offer a tangible activity in the same way that the 12 Steps do or other recovery programs do. It is just a community of like-minded people that come together and share. The reality of the matter is we encourage both. We feel very strongly, I'll speak for me and Steve, but that AA gives you things that are really essential to learning how to deal with sobriety. Ben's Friends, as Haley said, gives you that community that helps you guide through it in the sense that you're getting it from people who understand who you are and what your life is. At 24 years old, I desperately needed AA desperately needed AA. I needed it at 17, but I desperately needed it at 24. I kept going to AA and I couldn't connect. They were all the people that looked like me. They were 70 years old, 60 years old. They were all white. They were mostly men or a good degree. Yes, they were smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee, and I couldn't relate as a 24-year-old at all. Now we've got a community of people that I, I, this is, I want Ben's friends for everybody, but to be honest, in my mind, it was for younger people, to help younger people find an alternative to AA that could as effectively work as AA does for others. What's the format of a Ben's Friends meeting, whether in person or online? How does it roll? So they are somewhat familiar to a to a 12-step meeting in that we often sit in a circle. <laughs> there is someone who sort of leads the meeting. Uh, they might present a story or a topic from their own experience, and then the group is asked to share on said story or topic. How it's different is that unlike church basements, they are often hosted in fabulous restaurants in cities. We provide incredible coffee at these meetings and pastries. And uh, and the topics are different from traditional 12-step or, or other recovery meetings in that they range from 
spiritual components of recovery to day-to-day getting through life. And then there are are tangible topics about specifically working in the restaurant industry and how to handle the the specific stresses that come with that. And you forgot the thing that I love most. It sounds like a restaurant when you're in a Ben's Friends meeting. It does. There's a lot of swearing, a lot of gruff talk. People say what they want to say. There's no holding back. There's many times in AA you're afraid to say certain things, and and I experienced that for 30 years. There's times where you don't talk the way you might want to talk when you're truly free and open. Here it's it's pretty free and open. What about anonymity? How is that treated? I do have women that that approach me and say, you know, I'm I'm really nervous about being public about this. What that would mean for my career, and that was my experience when I got sober. I was, it's hard enough being a woman in the cocktail industry. I'm fighting an uphill battle every day. Yeah. <laughs> and to, to then say, I'm now sober. I had this picture of a room full of boys drinking whiskey and saying, Haley just can't hang. Of course she can't. She's a girl. That's what I thought it was going to look like. And so I wasn't ready. I wasn't public right away. And so I say to women who I end up interacting with in Ben's Friends right away, it's so okay to wait to be public. And that is well respected at Ben's Friends. If you want to show up, especially if you want to come to the online meetings and turn your camera off and participate in that way, that is always welcome. However, you heard the the origin story of, of Ben's Friends. Part of our message here is had, I mean, the way I heard that story the first time is had Ben known he was amongst two established sober restaurant individuals, he might have known he had a safe place to go with these demons he was suffering with. And for me, I, I pride myself on being pr- a, an open book and available to people who are seeking sobriety in the restaurant industry. Bravo. Well, thank, thank you. you all thank so you. much for coming and sharing such an inspirational story with us. I really appreciate and it. And thank you for spreading the word. We need your voice. Thank you, Poppy. Thank you for having us. That was Mickey Baxt co-founder of Ben's Friends, with Haley Hosler, co-leader of the Portland, Oregon chapter. You can learn more about Ben's Friends by visiting bensfriendshope.com, where daily online meetings are available, along with a list of participating cities. The New Orleans chapter, founded by chefs Alex Harrell and Liam Doran, meets at 10 a.m. every Monday at the Chloe Hotel on St. Charles Avenue. You can find more information about Ben's Friends by visiting our website, poppytooker.com. What's my favorite non-alcoholic libation? I'll share my secret and the recipe when we come right back. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry. Their new stuffing mix brings the flavor to your holiday table. 
available in herbal or cornbread. And their brown gravy and marinade have your turkey covered. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. And from the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, located 40 minutes north of New Orleans French Quarter along the shores of Lake Pontchartrain. The delicious Tammany taste culinary scene and abundance of soft adventure attractions are among the many reasons to love the North Shore's charming communities. Fall on Louisiana's North Shore brings outdoor festivals and lots of holiday events. Find details on upcoming events, itinerary suggestions, and more at louisiananorthshore.com. Here's this week's culinary quiz question, brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. What's my favorite non-alcoholic libation? Well, it's something I call Poppy's Pink Drink. If you're a server in the New Orleans hospitality industry, you may have heard me order one. It's a little complicated. Poppy's Pink Drink is comprised of cold sparkling water in a stemmed glass, no ice, no fruit, and about a tablespoon of New Orleans' own Peychaud's bitters. Okay, okay, Peychaud's is made with an alcohol base, as are most bitters. But trust me, if you could drink a whole bottle of Peychaud's, I'm still not sure you'd get a buzz. That's not what Poppy's Pink Drink is about anyway. It's about taste and enjoyment. Even at the nicest cocktail affair, if I'm not imbibing, I still feel like part of the party with my lovely wine glass and its happy pink contents. You can find the recipe in my most recent book, Drag Queen Brunch, and on our website. And about the alcohol content in bitters. If that's a concern, you'll want to stock up on El Guapo bitters. Our friend Krista Cotton developed her original alcohol-free bitters formula while pregnant with her daughter. Since then, she's discovered that her proprietary alcohol-free bitters brewing process is quite an advantage in today's marketplace. For a truly incredible holiday zero-proof cocktail, combine equal parts of El Guapo's spiced cocoa bitters and their Cuban bitters, which have a citrus flavor profile. Add a slice of in-season Meyer lemon, and you've got quite a tasty non-alcoholic cocktail. And one more thing, I hate that word, mocktail. Please, let's all stop using it. I don't want you mocking on me just because I'm not drinking the high-proof stuff. I'm Poppy Tooker, and cocktail bitters can make for some good Louisiana drinks.
achieving incredible success introducing healthier food onto some of Louisiana's best restaurant menus with her Eat Fit program. Oshner dietitian Molly Kimball founded Alcohol Free for 40 in New Orleans in 2015. The annual campaign encourages participants to give up booze for the 40 days of Lent and to document changes to their body throughout the process. Over the years, thousands of people have taken that challenge, discovering all sorts of things about their minds and bodies and their relationship with alcohol. One such participant was New Orleans-based journalist Melanie Warner Spencer. After taking part in Molly's challenge, a similar experiment with a cancer fundraiser called Dry July made Melanie decide to make the change permanent. In 2021, she founded Drink Fit Club, an online community made up of drinks lovers who want to cut down on their alcohol intake or completely abstain altogether. Now, Molly and Melanie have collaborated on Craft, a new book that perfects the art of zero-proof cocktails. The dynamic duo joined us to discuss the book, but first, Molly took us back to 2015, the year of her very first Alcohol-Free for 40 challenge. You know, whether someone's Catholic or not, a lot of times they're going to give up something for Lent. So the idea was, if that something is going to be alcohol that we're giving up, let's try making our own experiment, our own self-experiment, by doing certain labs, looking at what's happening inside of our body, looking at liver enzymes, inflammatory markers, all this stuff, but also physical markers, our body composition, body fat, muscle mass, our blood pressure, and then wildly close-up photo of our face so that we can see our skin, our eyes, and kind of the texture, the clarity of our eyes, and do all of this at the beginning, and then do it again at the end of the 40 days. A lot of people, you know, we've been doing it now. This will be like our seventh or so, maybe eighth year coming up. We see the same people come back so much because this is, they're using it as their reset. They're rallying their friends to come with them. Every year, they know they're going to have that little bit of a mini cleanse. Others, it's a life changer for them. So how about your life, Melanie? When do you jump on this wagon? That's when I jumped on the wagon. 2015. I, I did not know Molly at the time yet, and the universe saw fit that I did. I decided, I'll take this challenge. Why not? And for me, not a lot changed. I mean, I noticed some changes throughout the process of Lent and throughout not drinking, um, but, you know, I went up back to my usual shenanigans pretty much right after that. And then the next time I did it was 2020. And that's when something changed for me. I'm not sure exactly what compelled me to do it, but I started deep diving on alcohol, on its effects on our bodies and our minds and our spirits. And July 4th is the last time I drank, July 4th, 2020. Well, it's very interesting. I, I did a little research, and Dry January got trademarked just in 2014 in Great Britain, where it seems like the concept may have started. So it must have been dry in July for you. And then another amazing thing happened because 
you're a writer. So <laughs> what happened, Melanie? Well, yes, it was Dry July, and I did fundraise also. That's a wonderful charitable organization in Australia that gives the money to um, get cancer patients to and from the hospital. And journalistically speaking, it's um, definitely something to think about when it comes to the connection between cancer and alcohol. What are the stats about your chances to get breast cancer if you're a woman, any kind of cancer? For every drink we have, every one drink we have, our risk goes up. I mean, exponentially, it is, It. I don't want to say 50%, but it goes up really high for every drink. And so if I can just... If I can just vent, I know it's a safe space here. When we talk about <laughs> Breast Cancer Awareness Month, how many places do breast cancer fundraisers and with their pink cocktails? And I'm right. like, we have sugar raises our risk for cancer, especially breast cancer, and also so does alcohol. So let's give sugary pink cocktails. To there, yeah, fun. there's cognitive but, dissonance yes. <laughs> and conversations like this, journalists like us, People who are healthcare journalists, you know, food journalists, all of us, we, I think, are tasked with doing a better job. And it's that old saying, I think, Maya, Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better. Journalists, we love our alcohol. Let's not mince words about it. We love some cocktails. We love to write about them. We love to drink them. We love to have them together. We love to have them after a long day. We love them. (laughs) And I think that for so long, we just didn't want to pay attention to the writing on the wall because that meant we had to go deep within ourselves and face the hard truth that it's bad for our health. (laughs) Well, you know, there's all of that supposition about, oh, a glass of red wine, blah, 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 blah. Now, in the last couple of years, the research is conclusively internationally found that as much as we love it, it's poison it is, it's, and it's, it's ethanol. Us. It's ethanol. And, you know, I don't want to bang the drum and be evangelical. And, you know, I'm definitely not in any way, shape or form in favor of prohibition because it doesn't work. <laughs> but I will say... If we are an informed people, we can make informed decisions. And that is what this is about. It's about getting the information into people's hands and letting them make an informed decision. And I do believe on my own personal level, I was not informed. I was making the decision to drink without all of the information. And now that I have it, I'm making much different choices. So tell me about how craft the guide to zero proof cocktails came to be so this was born of the alcohol free for 40 event we talked about you know we have mindful mondays we have a lot of educational kind of sessions and support for all those participants throughout and one is cocktail demos specifically zero proof cocktail demos and we work locally with a bar expert named ethan skaggs he had historically been at commander's palace and then at grigri and so while he was with grigri he was enthusiastically always you know let's do this zero proof cocktail and zero proof eat fit cocktail so meaning it doesn't have alcohol but also doesn't have added sugar and so playing with different simple syrups to bring it with plant-based sweeteners and 
a lot happening in there to make it not only eat fit and also zero proof and taste good. So he and I were doing a demo and this was 2021 and it was, you know, we just had the kickoff and hundreds of people coming through and it was that same day. He's like, have you ever thought about doing a book about eat fit zero proof cocktails? And I remember like right at that moment, I thought, Part of me wanted to just curl up and go to sleep or cry right at that moment. (laughs) But then the other part was like, but wait a second. (laughs) Like, I like that. (laughs) And so I just like looked at him and it was about a 20 second pause, I believe. And I said, no, I haven't. But I love that. So we looked into it and we saw that there was a lot of either books that were mocktails, but they were sugary alcohol-free mocktails, or there was keto cocktails, you know, where they were really low sugar, but still had alcohol there, but there wasn't something that merged both. And so we pitched it to the publisher who did our first book, Eat Fit Cookbook. And in that time that we had, we worked on it, submitted it to the publisher, and then, you know, the, the editing process and it goes to print. It was about a year and a half or so. And during that time, so many indicators happened that he said, wow, this is perfect timing for this mm-hmm. book to come out. But even right then and you know, right after Mardi Gras of 2021, that space wasn't there yet. And then mm-hmm. over that year and a half, the conversation has come more to the forefront, even in New Orleans. Well, and I think it's very compelling to note that this is the year that Tales of the Cocktail had two Zero Proof Spirits companies Involved that would be Seedlip and Liars, and they had events during Tales of the Cocktail. Now, if you've been paying any attention over the years to Tales of the Cocktail, that's not something that we've seen in the past. There's that brand Spiritless, and I found Spiritless because I was at a big food event, and somebody handed me an old-fashioned and said, here, th- th- here's an old-fashioned that's alcohol-free, and it tasted just like every other old-fashioned I'd ever had. They're not girly mocktails. No. They're beautiful, elevated, elegant, zero-proof cocktails. And in the book, when anyone looks at these and the cover and the images in the book, the you know immediately people gravitate to the book and they think cocktails because it doesn't look light and... I don't want to say mocktail, fruity. I don't. Girly (laughs) is what's coming to mind, right? But they look like real, like very sophisticated. What I love are all the lessons contained within the covers. You can learn how to make your own shrub. You can learn how to make your own bitters. You can DIY. Yeah, Mm -hmm. DIY. Now I'll tell you the biggest DIY that I think is just so user-friendly, it just can be like ubiquitous across all types of recipes, is the simple syrups. And that was no small feat, Poppy, (laughs) (laughs) because we knew we wanted to use plant-based sweeteners. And so that may mean, you know, you know that there's monk fruit or you know that there's stevia. There's also sweeteners like Swerve or there's um, newer to the market plant-based sweetener that's called Iolos. And they all have these very different flavor profiles. So we did batches with each of these. And what we realized was that Swerve and the Iolos made the best version of simple syrup that tasted like what we would want it to be. So we found just the right ratios to make your simple syrups. And what's cool is you can make it, refrigerate it, and you can keep it there for weeks, months, once it's refrigerated, and then go back to it. You know, So that can work in your zero-proof cocktails. Or if you're looking to make a regular cocktail and just keep the sugar low, 
you can use it there as well. Well, there is just nothing I love like having two power girls like you (laughs) in the studio with me. Thank you so much for coming to see us. Congratulations on your book. And I just can hardly wait to see what you two do next. Thank you, Poppy. Thank you, Poppy. That's Molly Kimball and Melanie Warner Spencer. You can find a copy of the new book, Craft, the Eat Fit Guide to Zero Proof Cocktails, in bookstores everywhere. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Catch up on previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com, where over a decade of Louisiana Eats is available for pod and webcasting, along with recipes and cooking class videos, too. And don't forget to rate us on your preferred podcast platform. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Camellia Brand Beans, Crystal Hot Sauce, Rouse's Markets, the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, and from D'Agostino Pasta, handcrafted in Louisiana just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Support for Louisiana Eats also comes from Gulf Coast Blenders, dry ingredient blends with New Orleans roots. For more than 30 years, Gulf Coast Blenders has produced custom spice and dry blends for restaurant concepts across the country. To learn more, visit gulfcoastblenders.com. Original theme music composed by David Pomerlo and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner, producer and special projects manager Reggie Morris, producers Blake Longlinay and Steve Himmelfarb, and to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladew. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting.